When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know what happened next. To find out, listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Quote, my main cancer, unquote, the dying writer told the television interview. I call it Rupert, unquote. You and I, it turns out, are paying a little over one quarter of Rupert Murdoch's settlement with Dominion Voting Systems. Tax law. News yesterday that Fox can deduct the settlement from its corporate income tax, as calculated by the website The Lever. If it can deduct the entire settlement, and it sure looks like it can, Fox can deduct $213 million. Out of $787.5 million, $213 million, $213 million taxpayer dollars. A little more of an explanation of that in a moment. First, that quote... At the end of March 1994, a man you might have heard of, named Dennis Potter, gave perhaps the most extraordinary interview in the history of television anywhere in the world. Dennis Potter, once a London newspaper reporter, was the playwright of some television masterpieces, particularly The Singing Detective and Pennies from Heaven. And weeks earlier, he had been diagnosed with terminal, untreatable pancreatic cancer, that had spread throughout his body. As he was interviewed by Melvin Bragg of Britain's Channel 4, Dennis Potter was dying. The interview aired on April 4th, 1994, and Potter died exactly two months and three days later. The entire interview is indescribable in its honesty, its clarity, its sincerity, and in vernacular that did not really exist yet in 1994, in the lack of Fs. Dennis Potter gave, quote, one of the favorite fantasy plots of a writer is a character's told you've got three months to live, which is what I was told. Who would you kill? 
He went on. I call my cancer, the main one, the pancreas one, I call it Rupert, so I can get close to it. Because that man, Murdoch, is the one who, if I had the time, in fact, I've got too much writing to do and I haven't got the energy, but I would shoot the bugger if I could, unquote. March of 1994. America barely knew Rupert Murdoch in March of 1994. He owned the New York Post and had made it ribald and dumber even than it had been before. He had bought a bunch of the television stations owned by the Metro Media Company and cobbled together a kind of low-grade fourth television network. It had The Simpsons and almost nothing else. And by the night of April 4th, 1994, as Dennis Potter was heard telling the British interviewer Melvin Bragg, my main cancer, I call it Rupert. If I had the time, I would shoot the bugger if I could. By that exact hour... Rupert Murdoch was already beginning to formulate plans for a 24-hour channel in this country to be named Fox News, with ultimately the same kind of bitter, taunting, oxymoronic imbecility contained in the phrase military intelligence. Back in the UK, Dennis Potter was still giving his farewell address about the man he would have shot if he had had the time. Quote, there is no one person more responsible for the pollution of what was already a fairly polluted press, and the pollution of the British press is an important part of the pollution of British political life, and it's an important part of the cynicism and misperception of our own realities that is destroying so much of our political discourse. Unquote. Strong stuff from anybody, even from a dying man, who had equipped himself with a flask of liquid morphine from which he swigged frequently. But March of 1994, just before he died, was not the first time Dennis Potter had taken Murdoch on. The year before, that same British network, Channel 4, had turned over an entire episode of its half-hour series, Opinions, to Dennis Potter, and he spent much of the time talking about, quote, that drivel merchant, global huckster, and so to speak, media psychopath Rupert Murdoch. There is an avid, wet-mouthed, down-market slide, Potter said, that began its giddiest descent the day marauding Rupert Murdoch first left his paw marks on these shores and dragged so many others towards the sewers where too many of his two craven employees have their natural habitat. 1994. Wise words, sir, stand the test of time. 1994. And Dennis Potter already knew. 1994 and a dying man named the cancer that would kill him named it Rupert, so it had an identity he could hate, an identity he could fight against, an identity he could exploit in order to publicly express the menace he perceived Rupert Murdoch to already be. News Corp is headquartered at 1211 6th Avenue in New York City on the west side of the avenue, just north of 47th Street. Fox, quote, news, unquote, has its studios there. I passed by them in a cab yesterday. There's no doxing involved here. One side of the building features gigantic posters of Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and Ingram and Bear and some of the other journalistic prostitutes who lie on behalf of Rupert Murdoch 
and on behalf of themselves, and for his profits, and for theirs. When NBC moved us to 30 Rock, which is two blocks north, I was offered a series of offices. I took the one in the southwest corner of the building, so I could always look out my south window and give myself a little heads up, a little warning time for when the day finally came that News Corp headquarters began to attract or emit lightning bolts and demons and fire and brimstone, just like in Ghostbusters, or that day when the whole building would transform itself into a giant gleaming ghostly devil with horns and glasses and Rupert Murdoch's face. On the east side of the avenue is a rather nondescript building sold a few years ago for $40 million. It's kind of the western edge of Manhattan's Diamond District. I always thought they should remove all the windows from the side that faces the Fox headquarters across the street and instead cover those six stories with a giant engraving of the words of Dennis Potter. And by the way, Murdoch's settlement with Dominion has indeed come in part from a generous donation by us, the taxpayers of America. As this site, The Lever, writes, quote, federal law allows taxpayers to write off many legal costs, providing that they are ordinary and necessary business expenses. The IRS has repeatedly affirmed that for major corporations, paying out settlements is just part of the cost of doing business. The math goes thusly. Fox reported net income of a billion two last year, and it paid a combined state and federal corporate tax rate of 27% last year. And if none of the settlement with Dominion was covered by any insurance, Murdoch would be able to write off the entire $787.5 million as just part of the cost of doing business. And thus the deduction would be 27% of $787.5 million, $213 million, courtesy us. I can confirm tax deductibility, said Fox Corporate Chief Communications Officer Brian Nick to the reporter from The Lever, but not the amount. Your tax dollars in action. So onwards and upwards to Smartmatic and its lawsuit against Rupert Murdoch for $2,700,000,000, claiming it was slandered just as was Dominion and that Fox knew it, knew it with malice aforethought, and if Fox settles that suit on the same terms at a little less than half the demand, we, you and I, Mr. and Ms. American taxpayer, we will underwrite another $364 million for Rupert Murdoch. Or, emboldened by Dominion and the outcome there, Rupert Murdoch will not settle and we will get the other option. About Smartmatic, a Fox spokesman stated to Sarah Fisher, the media reporter at Axios, quote, There is nothing more newsworthy than covering the president of the United States and his lawyers making allegations of voter fraud. Freedom of the press is foundational to our democracy and must be protected, unquote. Not only did Fox learn nothing from the entire Dominion case, they're not even pretending to have learned. Rupert Murdoch headed into the Smartmatic suit, wrapping himself in the words of the First Amendment when he should be wrapped in the words of Dennis Potter. There is no one person more responsible for the pollution of what was already a fairly polluted press, and the pollution of the press is an important part of the pollution of political life, and it's an important part of the cynicism and misperception of our own realities that is destroying so much of our political discourse. 
he named his fatal cancer Rupert. By the way, if you saw a story attributed to Radar Online that in the wake of the settlement with Dominion, Murdoch was now going to fire Maria Bartiromo and Janine Pirro and Dan Bongino, no, that's not what was reported. They were quoting a media columnist who was guessing that he would fire Bartiromo and Pirro. But why would he? He just settled that $1.6 billion case that was supposed to destroy his company for effectively one-third of the original price. Dan Bongino is gone, apparently not connected to the trial. No one will miss him, except for that beautiful line of drawn-on hair. Still ahead on this edition of Countdown, I will return to the subject of Rupert Murdoch and what was confirmed nearly a decade after the fact as the day he personally fired me because I had followed his rules and the people he hired to enforce those rules to the letter. He fired me anyway. Also... Elon Musk blows up SpaceX and Twitter on the same day. And then he tries to impress LeBron James with a valuable gift worth nearly $100. And baseball's Oakland A's are moving to the city of the future. Las Vegas, Nevada? Are they bringing their own water? And I'll tell you why you should not fall for the, ooh, it'll create jobs, confidence trick. That's next. This is Countdown. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, baseball's Oakland A's have signed a binding agreement, they say, to build a new ballpark in Las Vegas, Nevada. And although they say they have not moved to Nevada quite yet, the expectation is they will play there by the year 2027, which means they will be lame ducks in Oakland, presumably for the next three and a half seasons. Firstly, of several points on this, baseball fans of every century have not responded well to lame duck teams as they were widely rumored to be moving out of Boston after the 1952 season. The Boston Braves drew 281,278 fans for a total of 77 games. The 1899 Cleveland Spiders were stuck on the wrong end of a system that allowed the same two brothers to own both their National League team and another National League team, the one in St. Louis. Since St. Louis was the bigger market, the brothers moved all the good Cleveland players from Cleveland to St. Louis, including Cy Young, in hopes of creating a mega team. In fact, it was a disaster on both ends. St. Louis finished fifth, and the Cleveland Spiders' home opener drew... 100 fans. Somehow it went downhill from there. They averaged 199 fans for their first 16 home games. On June 12th, the crowd was 58 people. Soon, visiting teams began to refuse to travel to Cleveland because it cost way more just to get there than they could possibly earn from their share of the gate receipts in Cleveland. Finally, on July 3rd, the inevitable happened. The Spiders stopped playing home games. They went on a road trip on July 3rd and did not come home until August 24th. In fact, they played only eight more home games ever. For the season, they won 20 games and lost 134. Las Vegas is also an interesting choice to move to right now because worst-case scenarios have the city's main sources of drinking water, the Colorado River, Lake Mead, and Lake Powell, effectively drying up within a decade. So bring a bottle or flask or an eternal supply of both. Back to the baseball part, the A's are quite the nomads. They have their origins in the original Athletic Club of Philadelphia from the 1870s. They played as the Philadelphia Athletic in the Major League American Association of the 1880s. A new Philadelphia Athletics team joined the new American League in 1901. They moved to Kansas City in 1955. And under the dyspeptic owner Charles O. Finley, the A's threatened every winter to move somewhere else. Finley negotiated with Seattle. He had an overture with Milwaukee. He made a deal to move the team to Louisville, Kentucky. Finally, in 1968, he actually did move to Oakland. But within nine years, he was moving elsewhere again, annually. From 1978 through 1980, the A's were on the verge of moving to Denver. In 1996, due to construction at the Oakland Coliseum, the Oakland A's played their first six home games in, of all places, Las Vegas. One last thing on this. The coverage of the apparent move included, as it always does, the perennial confidence trickster claim that the new stadium in Las Vegas and the public money spent on it will bring new jobs and improve the economy. 
A prominent economist once explained to me that there are lots of formulas and facts that explain why that's not true, that just the jobs move from one part of a city to another temporarily. But the easiest explanation is this. If new stadiums actually made money for the people who build new stadiums, the sports team owners would build all the new sports stadiums themselves because that's what owners do. Two other baseball notes. The other shoe dropped in the Max Scherzer Stickum controversy. He was suspended for 10 games and originally announced he would appeal, but then said when he found out the appeal process was not to a neutral arbitrator, but to instead baseball executives, he decided not to and will serve the 10 days. His agent, Scott Boris, had hinted at legal action against the rule. We'll see. And Madison Bumgarner, who made four starts in the 2010, 2012, and 2014 World Series for the San Francisco Giants as they won all three, and he won all those starts, and he made one five-inning relief appearance, saving the seventh game of the 2014 series. Madison Bumgarner was designated for assignment yesterday by the Arizona Diamondbacks, essentially cut loose. Bumgarner injured his pitching shoulder in a dirt bike accident in 2017. He left the Giants for Arizona as a free agent in 2020, and since then, he had won 15 games, lost 32, pitched to an ERA of 5.23, and a wins-above-replacement figure of minus .6. Bumgarner is 33 years old. He may be claimed by another team willing to take a chance, but it's pretty clear whatever happens, his Hall of Fame trajectory is irreversibly... A thing of the past. Still ahead on Countdown, back to Rupert Murdoch. Trust me, I never hated him as much as Dennis Potter did, but I hated him before I worked for him. I hated him while I worked for him, but I really hated him after he fired me. After I did exactly what his people had told me to do about a story concerning a sports team he owned and was trying to sell. Things I promised not to tell next. First time for the Daily Roundup. The miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze, Mike Lindell. I'm not saying I feel sorry for any of these wild e coyotes who tried to overthrow the government, who are still trying to overthrow the government, but if I did, it would be for this most brain-damaged of the junta. In August 2021, Lindell hosted a cyber symposium, as he called it, in South Dakota, and the gobbledygook he spat out that day was to him so obviously proof that the Chinese had interfered with the 2020 election that he said he would give $5 million to anybody who could prove that the material wasn't from the 2020 U.S. election. He called the contest Proof Mike Wrong, and he said that any claims would be evaluated by an independent arbitration board. One person entered the contest, Robert Zeidman, a computer forensics expert from Nevada. He went to Lindell Management and said, this is not only not from the 2020 U.S. election, it doesn't prove any kind of electoral interference anywhere at any time. And they ignored him and refused the claim. So Zeidman went to the Independent Arbitration Board and it yesterday announced, yep, Zeidman had proved Mike Lindell wrong and Lindell owes him five mil. Lindell says now he's going to sue the arbitrator over this. Presumably, he can just have his lawyers work on it, the ones who are already defending him from Dominion's $1.3 billion suit against him. Punchline, the guy who proved him wrong, Zeidman, 
a Trump voter. LeBron, Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois, chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Well, he did it. He wrote Chief Justice John Roberts. And just like I told you on Wednesday, he invited Roberts or any other member of the court Roberts wants to send instead to appear at a, quote, hearing regarding the ethical rules that govern the justices of the Supreme Court. What rules? It's going to be a hell of a short hearing. Rules? There are no rules here. As I also mentioned Wednesday, Durbin did not put this in the letter, but the committee never considered subpoenas for Roberts or Clarence, name your price, Thomas, because despite the Democrats being in the majority in the Senate, Durbin cannot get his committee to approve subpoenas because Dianne Feinstein is out sick this year. And so the Democratic Senate majority doesn't really exist because the Democrats brought a flag football team to a knife fight. But our winner is Elon Musk. Not a good day for Elon yesterday. First, Elmo's SpaceX rocket, the most powerful ever launched, blew up four minutes after it launched. But as every reporter noted, it was the most powerful ever launched. And they learned so much from it. And it blew up. And it was the most powerful rocket ever blown up. Hours later, Emmy Lou Musk finally fulfilled his threat to end Twitter's verification system by eliminating the blue verified check marks and transforming them into a paid feature that lets you write unbearably long tweets. I ain't reading all that. I'm happy for you, though, or sorry that happened. Life hack. If you had a blue check mark, you can't just replace it with any other emoji check mark. Elton's too smart for you on that one. But he did not look long enough at this issue, as usual. Just use one of the white arrows on a grayish-blue background emojis. I think the slanted one that's pointed down and to the left, that looks the most like a check mark. Use that one. I'm doing that. And still, the worst was yet to come. While the Pope and Lady Gaga and Trump and the New York City government all lost their blue checks, and a rival account soon appeared claiming it was the real New York City government Twitter, the blue marks on some other really big names stayed as they were. Stephen King, LeBron James, William Shatner. While randos insulted the likes of LeBron, who had vowed never to pay for his blue check mark, somebody broke the story that Musk had offered them free or comped Twitter blue check marks. Musk later tweeted, I'm paying for them personally. What is wrong with this dude? What is wrong with him that he thinks LeBron James is going to be impressed by a free blue check mark worth nearly $100 American. Who would be impressed by that? William Shatner. William Shatner wrote, thank you, I accept, thumbs up. Well, thank God Elon's purpose in buying Twitter has been achieved. He has impressed William frickin' Shatner. Elon blowed up good, blowed up real good, Musk, today's Worst unblue check mark person in the world. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2 of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my this idea of, what do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know... Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I have changed jobs a lot, and seldom have the departures included gold watches and going away parties. At least not going away parties to which I was invited. But in 43 years in radio and television, I have only actually been fired in the traditional sense of go clean out your desk and get out twice. Once, the order was from a drunken radio executive who did not like the fact that I was 21 years old and he was overruled and he was sent home with a warning by his bosses hours later. And I was back on the job 48 hours after that. The other time... When it actually happened, you're fired, clean out your desk. That was, unsurprisingly, at the hands of Rupert Murdoch and Fox, and I mean Rupert Murdoch personally, or so he claims. When I finally convinced NBC News that I was serious about no longer hosting its Monica Lewinsky-a-thon in 1998, the head of NBC Sports, Dick Ebersol, had an ingenious solution. He knew his friends at Fox Sports longed to have me front their version of SportsCenter, and so he proposed the following. NBC would give my agent 10 days in which to negotiate two deals, a deal for me to go to L.A. and host Fox Sports News and Major League Baseball on Fox, and another deal in which Fox would pay NBC $1 million for my contract, like I was a mediocre baseball pitcher. Amazingly, it worked. 
I got what was then a record-breaking salary for any cable sportscaster ever. NBC got its million. And maybe most startlingly, NBC then asked me to stay on the air as a lame duck at MSNBC for like six weeks. Curiously, throughout my career, no matter how abrasive the exit, my lame duck employers have always, for some reason, trusted me to stay on their air even though I was leaving. In local news in Los Angeles once, I did this for three months. Anyway, at first, going to work at Fox Sports was a delight. Their news guys, the evil Roger Ailes and his henchman John Moody, pitched me on doing stuff for them, maybe co-anchoring with Bill O'Reilly. I'm serious. I passed. Sports, we spent money. I worked with friends. I didn't have to talk about politics. I could narrate highlights. I could do funny voices from way downtown. Bang. I lived on the beach. I mean, my next door neighbor was Hawaii. Every time there was a newspaper story about ESPN, even though our ratings were terrible, there was also my picture in it with a caption like, challenging ESPN. It was great. But then two things happened. The Fox guy who knew we needed five years at minimum just to tie ESPN in the ratings took me to lunch one day and said, sorry, mate, my missus is moving back to England tomorrow with or without me. So I'm going. Good luck. He was replaced by guys who replaced the five-year plan with a five-week plan to raise the ratings by literally one-fifth of one point. I left that meeting in which they explained their suicidal plan and revealed that my salary represented an unsustainable 20% of their entire budget, and I called my real estate agent and put my house on the beach up for sale. Not long after... My doctor gave me a physical and a warning. Cut back on work and stress and everything else, or you can have a heart attack 10 years from now. I told my bosses this, and their response was to blackmail me. We have a clause in your contract which allows us to send you on the road once a week while you are still working five days in the studio. We're going to enforce that unless you kick back two-thirds of your salary. They put this in a document. There are, as the kids say, receipts. So, I folded to blackmail because two-thirds of $3 million a year is still pretty good. But I kept doing the job. In 1999, I broke a story that everybody laughed at, that Michael Jordan was unhappy in retirement, and he wanted to come back to play in the NBA, but instead of getting a salary, he wanted an ownership stake in a team. Two years later, he did exactly that. In 2000, I got to host the first Mets-Yankees World Series, and hosting baseball every Saturday on Fox was a pretty good gig. And we were just gearing up for the 2001 baseball season when I got a tip on April 20th that the owners of the Los Angeles Dodgers had unofficially put their team up for sale. And in fact, they were talking to the old owners, the O'Malley family, about taking the Dodgers off their hands, selling the Dodgers back to the son of Walter O'Malley. This was a great scoop, but it had great danger because the owners of the Dodgers were Fox, my own employers. The next day after getting this scoop, I made about 100 phone calls. And sure enough, I got the friend of a friend of a friend of my agent to confirm that he and his family were in preliminary discussions joining the O'Malley's to buy the Dodgers from Fox. Two sources, great scoop. 
And that night, I reached out to my bosses and said, what the hell do we do here? The story is solid. The Dodgers are for sale. But look, this is your candy store, and I do work for you. And if you don't want me to report this, I'm obviously not going to report it. And I'm not going to pouch, and I'm not going to give the story to somebody else. My bosses replied, good for you. Why don't we all get on the phone with the top? Rupert Murdoch has his own personal News Corp public relations department. Let's see what he says. So on Sunday, April 22nd, 2001, we got Murdoch's own PR guy on the blower, and I explained it to him. Well, Mr. Murdoch has a policy about this. He never interferes in editorial decisions, not even in sourced business stories, not even if they involve him. So long as you make it clear your sources are not from within the company, and so long as you're confident in your sources, and so long as you include our denial, you should proceed with this Dodger story. That is what we are paying you for. For a brief moment, I thought, maybe I have misjudged Rupert Murdoch. Well, it turned out to be a very brief moment and a very wrong moment. I reported the story that night. Howls of denials. Five days later, though, the Long Beach Press-Telegram newspaper had its own story said, despite denials, Dodgers are for sale, with far more details than I had. And that really was the end of it. The team was unofficially for sale. Dodger fans who hated what Fox had done to the team seemed happy. And the vast, stinking pile of burning excrement that was Fox and News Corp and Murdoch sailed on unperturbed. But 12 days after that, just before I was getting in my car to go to the first Fox baseball meeting for our 2001 season coverage, the president of Fox Sports, yet another Aussie called David Hill, called my agent and told her, He's not doing any baseball for us this year. Business decision. Click. End of conversation. Nothing else. No firing. No get out. No clean out your desk. No announcement. But then, two days later, they turned off my access to the Fox computer system. And four days after that, they called and canceled my cable show. And then that night, I got two weird calls from Rich Sandemir, who was the TV sports critic and TV sports business reporter for the New York Times. And Rich asks me, so did you know you got fired by Rupert Murdoch personally? And I said, with genuine astonishment, that I not only didn't know that, but even given my thoughts about Rupert Murdoch, I didn't believe that. Well, that's what my sources at Fox tell me. Apparently, your Dodger story really pissed him off, but, but really... And I said I had cleared it through his personal PR guy. I don't know, Rich Sandemir said. Apparently he was on vacation. And he got back like uh, the ninth of this month and he read all these stories about the Dodgers being for sale and how Fox Sports was the first to report it. And he called up David Hill and, and he told Hill to fire you immediately. So I told Rich, this is the first I have heard of this and I still don't believe it, even though the day he mentioned, May 9th, was the day David Hill had called my agent and told her I would not be doing baseball for Fox that year. An hour later, the phone rings again, and it's Rich Sandemir again, and he sounds shaken. I I I got it wrong. I I don't have any sources at Fox who told me Rupert fired you personally. My source uh, said that you were telling people Rupert had fired you personally over the Dodger story. And I gave Rich a sequence of, well, kind of friendly uh uh-huhs. 
And I said, no, I didn't. And no, you've never been dumb enough in your life to make the mistake you're saying you just made. And he said, well, I never said somebody at Fox said Murdoch fired you. Okay, thanks. Bye. The next day they had me come into the Fox building on Pico Boulevard and clean out my office while a guard watched. And she was a really nice guard. In fact, she brought donuts. What a lovely way to go out. As I packed, I thought more and more of what had happened in the month since I had gotten that tip about the Dodgers being for sale. As I left the Fox lot for the last time, as an employee, I went back a couple of times to attend table reads for the Simpsons. Table reads for the Simpsons were much more fun than being an employee at Fox. I called a couple of reporters I knew, and my agent, and some people in the business, and we tried to put together a timeline that made some sort of sense. Because the slow motion firing thing, May 9th, you're not doing baseball. May 11th, your computer won't work. May 15th, your cable show is canceled. May 16th, clean out your office. A week-long firing made no sense. Until one reporter friend said, you know, Fox called me and said, call Keith up and provoke him. Get him to call us names. Tell him about this story in that paper calling him washed up. Get him going. And then it all clicked. My contract ran through the end of the year 2001 because Fox was firing me without any cause or even claiming there was a cause without any violation of my contract or their rules because I had left a trail of good behavior on the Dodger story. They were trying to enrage me and get me to say something nasty that itself would be a violation of my contract so they could outright fire me and keep the money. And the money still on the contract was about $800,000. Now, after decades of contemplating this, I am confident that I am no crazier than the next guy. At least not the next guy in television. But on my worst, craziest, least rational day, if you said, you have two choices, Alderman. You can blow up these people who are firing you, and you can make them look bad in a newspaper for a day, and then they'll fire you and keep all the money they owe you, or you can keep your big bazoo shut for just seven months, you can keep the $800,000, and you can spend the summer doing whatever the hell you want, and you can then spend the rest of your natural life blowing these people up. If that's the choice... I will always take the scenario that gives me the $800,000 for doing nothing. Always. So, on January 1st, 2002, after the last Fox check cleared, I began making a professional avocation out of attacking Fox News, Fox Sports, Fox Business, Fox Murdoch, Fox O'Reilly, Fox Tucker Carlson, whatever, and I got the $800,000. But there lingered for years this kind of academic question of whether Rupert Murdoch had actually fired me for having followed the rules set out by his own personal PR guy. As usual, these things resolve themselves when you least expect them to. Murdoch was speaking at a Dow Jones conference in Carlsbad, California on May 28, 2008, Seven years to the month, they got rid of me. And a story came across the wire with my name on it. The guy interviewing him at this conference talked about whether there should be dissenting voices on Fox, quote, news, unquote, like that guy who was killing it on MSNBC, Keith Olbermann. Now, Murdoch barked, I fired him five years ago. He was crazy. Timing was off, but there it was. Rupert Murdoch 
confessing in front of a crowd that he fired me personally. The red badge of courage, in quotes. I wondered if it still pissed him off that he had to pay me the $800,000 when I didn't take the grievance bait. Three years after that, Murdoch said it again, like I hadn't heard it the first time. On February 1st, 2011, Rupert Murdoch was interviewed by his business talking head, Neil Cavuto, who for some reason asked him if he would consider hiring me to put me on Fox News. Now, we fired him once. We don't believe in firing people twice. Cavuto replied, uh, you called him a nut. Well, he was a nut on, well, we had him on Late Night Fox Sports. There was never any such show called Late Night Fox Sports, but never mind. Roop went on. It was impossible. I fired him. He was crazy. Fired me for following his rules. And I was the one who was crazy. Finally, speaking of crazy, I have had for 63, nearly 64 years now, a love-hate relationship with the name Keith. But did you know that Rupert Murdoch's real first name is also Keith? But that rather than call himself Keith, he voluntarily chooses to call himself Rupert. I mean, sure, my name is Keith, but at least my name ain't freaking Rupert. I mean, if you're not going with Keith and your other given option is Rupert, try something less embarrassing from outside that field. I don't know, like Elon. Elon Murdoch. I've done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Here are the credits. Most of the music was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, who are the Countdown Musical Directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc., Musical comments from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was Kenny Main. Everything else is pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 836th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Don't forget to keep arresting him while we still can. The next scheduled Countdown is Monday. Until then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Psst, there's a shortcut to platinum status at Shell. To saving 10 cents per gallon on every fill every day. Just fill up six times with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline, and it's yours. Plus, you'll rejuvenate your engine. Get ready to level up performance, rewards, and savings. With continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors, Platinum status is earned with 12 Phillips over three months, 10-gallon minimum per Phillip at participating Shell locations. Terms apply. Visit fuelrewards.com status.
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.